This episode is brought to you by Great Waters Financial. The person that sacrifices nothing learns and discerns nothing. Trial lawyer, mediator, author, and world-class peacemaker Tom Gehring joins us on this episode. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Nassadi. Hello and welcome to another blasting episode. <laughs> why did I even say blasting? <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> another episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. This is Larry Gates and I'm here with Armin Nassadi. And we're so glad you're part of this show and you've decided to turn us on on iTunes decided to turn us on. There we go. On <laughs> iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you're listening to us, whatever your favorite app is, or maybe on our website at boldideapodcast.com. So glad that you are a part of this show, and we have a very interesting angle to talk about today. It's a painful one. I hope you guys are ready for this. <laughs> Armin is already ready for the pain to come. Well, listen, we're going to talk a little bit about conflict. We're going to talk about conflict and being a peacemaker because we're going to talk to Tom Gehring, who's been a trial lawyer for over 35 years. He's a mediator and an adjunct professor of law at Pepperdine University School of Law. He's the author of two books, Settle It and Be Blessed and Problem Solver. And he travels around the world mediating conflicts of all kinds. And he travels around talking to groups of all kinds, too, about conflict management, mediation, and becoming a peacemaker. Tom Gehring, welcome to the Bold Idea Podcast. Larry and Armin, I'm really glad to be here. Thank you so much. Well, so good to have you. Now, for our audience members, what do you do? I am a trial lawyer by trade for 38 years now, I must confess, and it's been a, a great life and everything is good. And more and more, the Lord has me going out and speaking about a bunch of things, including my two books, but also on the idea, which is, of course, a biblical idea of being the peacemaker. Yeah, we're going to get into that in just a minute. I want to talk a little bit more about you being an attorney first. <laughs> All right. Well, there's no shortage of attorneys and there's probably no shortage of lawyer jokes. You got a you got a favorite? <laughs> All the recent ones are definitely unrepeatable and I do everything I can to forget them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> you know, it's one thing to talk about being an attorney and I think a lot of us know attorneys. You're the first attorney we've had on a podcast after what a couple hundred episodes, right? Almost now. So, well, uh, come on, uh, you know, right? let's in a little bit well, here. There's some good attorneys out there well, that are believers and that have strong messages of peace and right. and love and reconciliation. And that's that's very gospel like and we want to gra- we want to grab into that but I want to ask you a little bit about your work so our listeners know what kind of work are you engaged in because you have specialized a little bit here haven't you? Yes, I I decided going all the way back when I was 12 years old I felt that God had the call on my life to be a trial lawyer and that's what I've been. I've enjoyed it very much. I went to law school at Pepperdine University, and I brag quite often about my very, very extensive resume. And that's a joke because (laughs) I only emphasize three things on my resume. Number one, that I graduated from the School of Law in May 1979. I was born again in November 1984. And as of 2017, I'm still serving. That's great. 
Well, how did you decide that you were going to pursue that path? Well, I went on a road trip with one of my best friends, John Erlinson, when I was 12 years old. I was with his parents, and and he and I have always been, if I may put it this way, in fact, I love to give talks about this, godly ambition. And we're both ambitious, and we basically mapped out what we wanted to do with our lives. And he wanted to be an archaeologist, and I wanted to be a trial lawyer. And looking back, because I was born again in 1984, I realized that God had a calling in my life very early, and it was very clear to me. I stuck to it. I never wavered. And I don't recall the specifics of why that was so strong on my heart, but it really was. And I've stuck with it to these days. And in the mid-80s, which, as you might recall, was the me decade, Mm -hmm. the the craziness of all that was going on that decade, I was born again. It was powerful. I was already a successful trial lawyer, and I was saved one day in November 1984, and God made it very clear to me that he was saving me from a life of mediocrity. Mm. And what was the big change for you from the before that encounter to after? The big change, without a doubt, was at the time I was, how do I say this quite right? It's almost impossible to bring out my Christian humility, but I was a rising star trial lawyer. I had some of the best clients imaginable. I already had my very hot Porsche Targa Carrera, and I had everything going for me. And after that night, a Wednesday night in Westwood, California at a little church, I changed everything. I eventually gave the car away. I eventually focused on what it would take to be a reconciler in all my litigation. I almost immediately volunteered at the local courthouse, 111 North Hill Street, downtown Los Angeles, the LA Superior Court. I sat on the ninth floor and I volunteered to settle cases. The judges would send me five cases up. I tried to settle three. And over time, I got really, really good at it. Now, some people knew, other people didn't know that most of the time I was really just praying as hard as I can that God would swoop in and resolve this conflict. That's mm. 1984, 1985. So as a, as a young man, you decided somewhere along the line you were going to get into law and be a trial lawyer. Correct. Going to Pepperdine University. Did you grow up on Perry Mason? Uh, no. I <laughs> if I had to draw on something that really impacted me, it was my father. My father is a at the time was a very famous space scientist, and I was just inspired by his way of thinking. It was very crisp thinking, if I can put it that way. It was very analytical. It was very point by point by point. And if anything, I would say it was my father, just because he was so well-spoken and so articulate. And I didn't have his ability in his head to like do these incredible mathematical equations. But I, I really felt good on my feet, if you will. I went that way and felt called to go that way as a lawyer. And then to be a trial lawyer, which is really a decision to spend most of your life standing between, and here I go, I get a little earthy, standing between the dog and the fire hydrant, because it's a, it's a really intense profession. Mm-hmm. I can imagine it is. Yeah, what is it, it really about, is. What is it about being a lawyer that excites you still? 
ever since I was born again in 1984, I've asked the Lord to bring to me the cases that he wants me to work on mm -hmm. and keep away from me the cases and clients and issues that he doesn't want me to work on. So since 1984, I felt pretty strongly about the cases that have come my way and the people I get to help. So it's been a blessing because I get to help great universities. I get to help great hospital systems. I get to help great ministries like Dream Center or Teen Challenge. And so it's very exciting. You get to know really great people. You get to work on causes that mean a lot to you. And it's just very enjoyable. The people I get to meet when I think of people like Ron Brown, Don Coley at Teen Challenge or Matthew and Tommy Barnett at the Dream Center or the people that run Pepperdine University. These are great people and, and I enjoy working with them. Can you share a story or anything like that that would help us see how God is using your set of skills and the world of law and legal systems to showcase how God is working through that? I'll give you one example. It's a very intense example in the sense that I'd have to tippy-toe around a lot of the facts, but I was given the opportunity to defend some doctors in the very infamous, if you will, I call it the very famous and the well-known Los Angeles patient dumping case. And I can only summarize it this way. The doctors I got to represent were wonderful, wonderful doctors. And most of them or maybe even all of them, were minority doctors that were taking good care of their minority neighborhoods in downtown Los Angeles, the Filipino neighborhoods, maybe the African-American neighborhoods, maybe the even the Jewish neighborhoods and different neighborhoods. And they were all falsely accused of certain things. And to make a long story short, I really felt God had me there to protect them and to protect their careers and through my eight to three rule that I write about in my book, Settle It and Be Blessed, I would go to bed every night at eight o'clock, get up at three in the morning and say, God, tell me what to do, how to help these wonderful, wonderful doctors. And so many good things came out of that. And the irony of all ironies, and, and this is God at work, is I'm actually a high-end trial lawyer, but I was also incredibly familiar with Skid Row. And it was the LA patient dumping case, supposedly dumping patients on Skid Row. Because of my work at the Dream Center, I spent a lot of time on Skid Row. I knew it like crazy. Hmm. And because of all my hands-on information, I was the best defense lawyer. And let's just say my doctors came out wonderfully, perfectly. They've carried on with their careers and everything's gone well. And that is definitely God in action all glory to God, all the ways I got it resolved are all ideas from from the Lord, frankly. Well, it's got to be very gratifying to defend a justice, right? And to, and to see a good outcome come like that. Uh, it makes life worth living. These are really good people. They're good doctors. They live humble lifestyles as doctors because of all their work. They got pulled into a, a bad case really for a, a good reason. They were volunteers at the urgent care centers, you know, in the hospitals. They were volunteers. And because they, they treated patients on those days that they were on the urgent care call panel, they got in trouble. They got raked into something that they should not have been raked into. Hmm. Well, 
You're the kind of guy that it seems like it's good to have in a firefight when there's all hell's breaking loose, so to speak, and somebody doesn't know which way to turn, and they're perhaps in a crisis, perhaps a lot of conflict. It sounds like you're pretty used to conflict. The title of my book is Settle It and Be Blessed, and the subtitle is When You Are In the Fight of Your Life. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely your guy. <laughs> Now, one of the things that you say on your website is you can't pursue your passion in the middle of your conflict. Correct. Talk about that, because this is a Bold Idea podcast. There's a lot of us that really want to pursue our passion, and yet there might be some conflict in our life. So talk about how that's holding us back. I wrote a chapter in my book called Settle All the It's in Your Life. And I found with my hundreds and hundreds and maybe thousands of mediations that one of the ways to get people to settle a conflict in their life was to find out what their passion was. And you and I know that we all have to have a passion in our life. We all have to have a purpose. And so often I settled the case by trying to find out the passion for each party. And I learned very early on, 1984 and 85 is when I started saying it, that you cannot pursue your passion in the middle of your conflict. And time and time again, People had put their passion on hold while they were in conflict. And then occasionally somebody would say, oh, it's okay. I'm dealing with this conflict, but I'm still getting some of my work done. And I would say, no, no, no. At a minimum, you're watering down your passion and it's not good. Let's get this case settled. Let's get this conflict settled. Let's get this issue settled and get back to your passion. So I would find out what their passions were. I'd help build them up and I'd say, look, let's get this case settled today. And that's why there's a napkin on the cover of my book, because I found out within a few years that there wasn't anything I couldn't settle on the back of a standard issue cafeteria grade white paper napkin. So I'm kind of curious when you when you look at all the cases that you've settled, all the mediation that you've been involved in. Talk about one where you went into it just kind of wondering if it was even possible for reconciliation and you came away from it just with this amazing God God was here moment. It's important to know that somewhere around 90% of the time when you're mediating, on first blush, it doesn't look like it's going to settle. And that's because I, I call myself the six hour man, because sometimes you need to spend a lot of time with the people to understand what they have to say or get stuff off the table. And so I would say most of the time in a secular sense or a worldly sense, it looks like it's going to be impossible to settle. But I at first I was settling three out of five. Towards the end, I was settling five out of five. Why? Because you realize that you can find some of the underlying issues and you can get them resolved. And once you get those issues resolved, you can settle the case. And a recent case I had, for example, I defended some hospices and I'll try my best not to disclose any confidences, but there again, it didn't seem possible. And all I can tell you is I, I prayed, prayed hard. I prayed for ideas from the Lord. I believe the Lord gave me the ideas, I utilized those ideas, and the case got settled. And it was going to be absolutely impossible to settle it. I think if somebody's listening to this 
right now or in the future, they must realize that each case is settleable. It really, really is. Now, if you have God on your side, it's a lot easier, but these are principles that are like gravity. When I give my speech, for example, be the peacemaker, there are really just three things that I believe turn anybody into a world-class peacemaker, and it is doable. Before we go down the path of how we become a world-class peacemaker, and this is a two-part question, I'll just start with the first part. Why do you care so much about being a peacemaker? That's very easy, and I could name some of my friends that also do what I do, and I can tell you, I've now spent 38 years as a lawyer and a trial lawyer, a mediator, an arbitrator, endless counseling sessions. And when you see so much conflict, especially if you're Holy Spirit filled, there comes a time when you want to do whatever you can to help people resolve these conflicts. It gets in your blood. It gets in your heart. And you find out, like I found out with my napkin, how easy it is to settle the conflicts. I'll give you another example. Almost in every conflict, there is one side or the other that thinks they did nothing wrong. (laughs) If you do a lot of radio, eventually someone will call and go, I want to settle, but I didn't do anything wrong. My husband cheated on me or my partner, A, B, and C, and whatever. Right. It's always the other person's fault. That's what I keep telling my wife. She doesn't believe me. (laughs) Correct. And again, what I learned, and I started saying this also in 1986, I said, you know, the person that sacrifices nothing learns and discerns nothing. Mm. Say My that one more time. Say that being, one more time. The one that sacrifices nothing learns and discerns nothing. Reach it. Okay. And my whole point of that, I'm telling me at 80s and all the way up until last week with the case I worked on, it's a, so often somebody believes that they shouldn't give anything. They should not sacrifice anything. And it's those very people that don't sacrifice something that for some reason, and of course we know why, they're back in trouble again with some other people or some other set of facts or some other issues. So everyone must sacrifice something, even the one that supposedly feels they did nothing wrong. This is the Bold Idea Podcast. Hey, Armin, I have a question for you. A little nervous, but go ahead, bring it on. What would your 65-year-old self say to you right now? Well, it would probably start with a slap upside my head and follow with a please stop being an idiot. Ha, exactly. I'm glad you agree. Thanks a lot. How did you know? (laughs) Have you encountered my old self? (laughs) No, I've encountered mine too. Uh That's why we all need to know about Great Waters Financial. All right, listen, all kidding aside, Great Waters Financial is a company that I would put my name and reputation behind any chance I get. It's a company filled with people that I know firsthand, have character, have integrity, you can trust and you can rely on. And this is a company that I believe is one of the best at what they do. Great Waters Financial, based here in Minneapolis, is a financial planning 
team that will help you customize a financial plan just for you to get you into retirement and to live it greatly. And they prepared a report for our listeners to download the six things your 65-year-old self would want you to know about Social Security. And if you want to see that report, just go to greatwatersfinancial.com forward slash bold idea. Investment advisory services offered through Advisor Net Wealth Management. Great Waters Financial and Advisor Net Wealth Management are not affiliated. Insurance products provided by Great Waters Financial, a Minnesota insurance agency. So help me out. There's a lot of people. I'm not a conflict avoider, but I know a lot of people who are, and they're some of the most difficult people to manage conflict with because they either pretend it isn't there or they don't want to deal with it or whatever. So what are some tips that you have, maybe tips if you are trying to work with a conflict avoider or maybe if you are recognized that you are a conflict avoider, what are some of the tips to engage when you'd rather not? The first tip, of course, again, I think about when you get to lecture at universities and colleges and even better, it's so fun, when you get to go and give a speech to high schoolers, it's so amazing. For all these years, I've learned the first the first rule of conflict resolution, which, by the way, applies to yourself, too. Plenty of biblical basis for all this. Genesis 13, for example, on this first rule of being a peacemaker is be the first to reach out and be the peacemaker. Always be the first and you will be blessed. Now, I admit there are some people that delay that process or don't want to get involved in that process and are okay. I, I, I've often said, and I say in my book, if we could get rid of the lukewarms that are living in those courthouses, we'd probably get rid of 70% of the cases. Why? Because there's a lot of people, Larry and Armin, that do not have passions, that do not have goals, that are okay with conflict. And they are difficult to deal with. I acknowledge that. But if you can help them find their passion and help them realize the benefits of getting things resolved and try and get them to be the first to reach out, then you're going to make a lot of progress. And by the way, all of these apply to being a peacemaker with yourself. All my work at the Dream Center and rehab facilities is always about usually being the peacemaker with yourself. So you mentioned the first step in how to become a world-class peacemaker, being the first to reach out to be the peacemaker. So what are some of the other steps? There's only two other steps because, of course, some of the most complex things on the face of the planet, when you really break it down, are actually quite easy. Jesus said it all in Matthew 5 when he said, settle matters quickly. The second one, the first rule is be the first to reach out. The second rule is do it Quickly. Quickly means, whether it be in the Greek or in the Webster Dictionary, it means without delay and soon. The second step is do it quickly. And if by slight chance the other side reached out first, then you learn and you love to be the peace receiver. And then your job is also to be the peace diffuser. Each one of these concepts is, is literally a one-hour teaching session, but the bottom line, very simply, number two is 
do it quickly. And if you study the Bible, and hopefully this show is okay with the Bible as a reference, you'll find. And when I get to give a, a long lecture on this, especially to a Christian university, that any time the Lord asks somebody to do something, any time Jesus asks anybody to do something, even any time angels ask somebody to do something, they said to do it quickly. And I'd be happy to go through 30 examples of that if you had the time. Yeah, no, well, give it an example of a time where a delay really created a problem. I mean, in other words, if they'd done it quickly, it would have been. Is there is there a good example that you might point to there? Delay. I talk of one situation in my book where an Italian family were engaged in a dispute for nine years. And the real problem in that case was how wonderful people put off their passion for so long. Now, we do know in a godly sense that God sometimes frankly, I see it all the time, makes up for those delays and will still bless the person and whatever. But in my world of law, delay is always bad because it's always, always more expensive. And I I say all the time, I've never seen a longer fight land less wounds. My point is that longer fights and delays always cause more pain, always cause more suffering, always cause more attorney's fees and costs, and always put off a passion. I've seen, and I don't want to mention names, I've seen people unfortunately pass away and never get around to their passion, the book they wanted to write, the music that they wanted to write. How about the ministry they wanted to pursue? So many times delay is so sad and so painful. But as my pastor, Tommy Barnett, would say, we got to be careful because sometimes with God, especially delay is not denial. Mm. But self-imposed delay causes so many problems. In the courthouse, most of the time we're settling cases that should have been settled a long, long time ago and saved people a lot of money. I can't imagine lawyers like you for saying that. (laughs) Lawyers like me are not very welcome in the continuing education (laughs) classes because our tribe called lawyers makes money while the people decide to keep fighting. Mm. That is very sad. I think this is a really important point you're making about delay and doing it quickly. You know, the, point that you have been talking about in terms of passion and helping to identify the passion as the doorway really to resolving the conflict. Also, when we're conflicted, as you said earlier, that our passion will, we can't really pursue our passion when we're in conflict. And you you even described the Italian family. I know there's a lot of families that maybe you're dealing with many, many years of conflict, but that's just sustained. I know when I'm feeling conflict with my wife, Anna, that I am not at 100% for doing anything else. It's debilitating. It's so debilitating. And in fact, when I give this speech called Be the Peacemaker, I usually open up with something that's been so powerful over the years and was very powerful last week when I was in Pennsylvania talking to some churches. I opened up with the following. I basically said something like, right here, right now, if you're hearing my voice, Is there a telephone call you should be making to somebody that you're in dispute with, in conflict with, 
or have an issue that you need to settle? Is there a telephone call you need to make? How about this? Is there a letter you should write to somebody? How many times have I seen one phone call or one letter really save a situation, sometimes save a person's life? Is there some extra compromise you can make right now to resolve a conflict? Is there some sacrifice, a little more sacrifice? I often say, if you're not settling this conflict, you have to measure your sacrifice. You are probably not sacrificing enough. And the whole point of my book, Settle It and Be Blessed, is if you sacrifice more, God will bless you. Just like God blessed Abraham in Genesis 13, when he, Abraham, was the first to reach out to Lot and settle a conflict between he and Lot and their herdsmen. It's all there in Genesis 13. Mm-hmm. That's good. So what's the third step in becoming a world-class peacemaker? I bet you can guess. <laughs> you just led right into it. The first step is be the first to reach out and be the peacemaker. Always be the first if you can. Number two, do it quickly. Number three, without a doubt, it's so simple. And it's actually the last step. And it's one word, sacrifice. We, we as trial lawyers, for example, I tell my students at Pepperdine, I say all trials come down to one word, one word. And the word is trustworthiness. In other words, you win your case if the judge and the jury trust you, believe you, believe you're being honest. And I also say all settlements come down to one word, sacrifice. Are you sacrificing enough? And you will always be blessed. I am almost 63 years old. I've been doing this 38 years. I have never once, ever, had somebody come back to me and say, Tom, I wish we had not settled that. I sacrificed too much or anything like that. No one's ever said that. And by the way, I would say the same for a couple of my friends. My friend Dennis Torres that does a lot of mediation. He would confirm the same thing. I can think of other great mediators. The same thing. You're blessed when you settle a conflict. You're blessed by God. And if you don't believe in God, fine. The world, the world has a way of prospering you for getting conflicts resolved. Let's take a moment and pivot back to you personally here in terms of your journey. Tom, a number of years ago, you you went to Spain for several weeks to do the Camino Francis de Santiago pilgrimage. Yes, the Camino de Santiago. Yes. Yeah, yeah you'll say it better than I will. <laughs> <laughs> what prompted you to go and what did you learn? Well, I'm a I'm an old Christian, so my prayer life pretty much prompts me for everything. I've now done two Camino de Santiago's. I've done one, the Francis route, it's called, which is through the middle of Spain. And I've done the Del Norte route, which is the northern route through the basically the top of Spain. And the Camino Primitivo, which takes you through the heart and the hardest part of the walk. But the bottom line is very simple. The Camino de Santiago is a spiritual walk. Takes about six weeks. It's five or six hundred miles, depending on how you count the miles. You live day to day, one step at a time. It teaches you many, many things, many, many things. And I'm telling you, one of the greatest things it teaches you is that day to day discussion with God, the day to day, step by step life, one step at a time along the path, the way of St. James. 
it teaches you so much and it gets so into your heart that I'm, you know, I'm planning right now to do the Camino de Assisi, which is a little bit similar through Italy from Florence to Assisi. And then you hang a right to go to Rome. But once the Camino gets into your heart, I don't think it ever leaves you because it's so enjoyable. The time with the Lord is exciting. The step by step by step, you're talking about, you know, maybe 15 to 20 miles a day with a backpack. You live out of, you live out of your backpack. You stay in albergues and you have one of the most enjoyable experiences possible. And it's with God. It's, it's about as good as it gets. How, how did you come back differently as a result of that? Well, when I went, my first trip was in 2014 and I had just finished a really high profile case defending a wonderful hospital system. And I was beaten up. And broken down. So there's a lot of things that happens on the Camino, one of which was it really completely healed me. Frankly, I, I showed up with chest pains. I was exhausted from my case, very high profile, very stressful, which happens to the best of us. Mm-hmm. So I came back 100% healed and a lot stronger. I've done a lot to slow my life down. I've done a lot of prayer. Lord, what do you want me to do? And do you want me to get my message out? I get a lot of speaking invites. I really enjoy it. It's a, you know, it's a simple godly message. So I believe I've changed in a lot of ways. One, first of all, I was physically healed. Second of all, I've really slowed my life down. Even any, any good trial lawyer, I don't know a better way to say this, has a strong ego. We're usually brimming with confidence as trial lawyers, and we should be. And I I just think that I came back with a clearer and different walk with the Lord and a transitional walk to speak more, to write more, to get this message out. And I'm still only taking cases that I feel God's saying, yep, take this one case. It's important, et cetera, et cetera. So I came back with a lot of great things. And by the way, I'm trying to, all of us try to apply the Camino to our life, meaning Okay, step by step, let's enjoy today. You're back at home, you're back at your office, but step by step, enjoy this day. Enjoy this talk with Larry and Armin. Enjoy the opportunity to put your message out there a little bit more. This is God's message, not mine. When you bring the Camino back, you bring back a lot of peace and you know how to tap back into that peace. Mm. Boy, what a what an important message. Now, what's your next bold idea? What is God stirring in your heart? I wrote two books. I wrote Settle It and Be Blessed, and I wrote The Problem Solver, which came from all my experience with rehabs and the Dream Center. And I have a very, he's laid on my heart exactly what the third book is. I'm deep into it. You'd have to twist my arm and tackle me to tell you what it's about, but it's a bit of a sequel to The Problem Solver. And I want to get it out because I feel incredibly strong about the message. And, I'll, you know, that's that's number one. Number two, I'm going to eventually this year do the Camino de Assisi. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying as best I can with my humble but overreactive ego to get more and more away from the courtroom for a change and and, and see what enjoying life is is all about. That's why I went to D.C. I just hung out with my friends at the Museum of the Bible, and it was just fantastic. Oh, yeah. We're looking forward to hearing more about that as it as it gets built. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, they, they say they're going to open it in November of this year. Woof. Uh-huh. Having seen just seen it. 
They'll need some miracles. <laughs> uh, I was watching some of the videos. It looks amazing. It looks absolutely amazing. So, Tom, I'm going to leave something open for you here. You can take this in any direction that you want. We got a lot of ambitious people that listen. I mean, this is the Bold Idea podcast. So, you got a lot of bold people pursuing bold things and trying to figure out best ways to put their faith to work to go after their ambitious goals. So, I'm going to leave this open to you. But for those of us that are listening that you know are ambitious, that are pursuing bold things, how would you inspire us knowing that we're w- willing to listen to you? I'm sitting here, standing here actually, I believe in stand-up desks. <laughs> and I love to talk about First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Do you mind if I read no, a couple please of do. sentences? Please, please do. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Mm-hmm. That is such an exciting set of verses because in, in that, little, that little verse or two, it tells you so much about how to Work with your hands. In other words, do what's in front of you that God has placed in front of you and do it really well. Lead a quiet life. Don't be a busybody with other people's issues. Don't think about other people. Stay focused on what God has placed in front of you. Stay out of conflict. Three simple steps to be a great peacemaker. One, be the first to reach out. Two, do it quickly. Three, sacrifice. And if you were to meditate on 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11, that, that would solve just about every conflict and problem and dispute in the courthouse in any city and in your life. Just lead that start by a quiet life. We all have gravitated towards noisy, busy lives, and it's so sad and unnecessary. Excellent. And I think you're an example of a guy who has a lot of ambition, but leading a quiet life, reconciling party after party quietly, but powerfully. So that's great. How do our listeners learn more about you? I have a website, TomGearing.com. Anybody can email me, Tom, at TomGearing.com. My books are on Amazon, Settle It and Be Blessed, and The Problem Solver. And more are coming. And I'd love the opportunity to hear from anybody via email or otherwise. And I will respond. I promise I'll respond. Oh, that's awesome. And Tom has graciously made available to our listeners, and I will explain how you can get your hands on his book, Settle It and Be Blessed. But Tom, I want to thank you now for being a part of the Bold Idea podcast, for really pointing out all the ways in which we can be reconcilers, settling conflict, and actually becoming a world-class peacemaker. It's been an honor to be here, Larry and Armin. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, thanks again. Okay, thank you. Well, I mean, that was one of my new favorite lawyers, Tom Gehring. <laughs> Are you about to hire him for our conflicts? <laughs> I'm looking for, I'm looking for a meaty conflict to bring him on board with. I think it'd be fun to see somebody like that just at work, right? Because, yeah. I mean, you can, I, you know, I could just see he's the kind of guy, I mean, he mentioned his dad being some mathematical wizard, you know, yeah. and having all this. But I can see this guy being the kind of guy that's just like thinking through stuff and yeah. just, you know, with the, can you imagine what it's like to get in some of these really thorny, complex, multi-party 
conflict situations. I mean, yeah. I'm glad for guys like that. I would not want it. You know what's funny is he reminds me of my attorney that got a kind of, well, not kind of, he was by my side through my whole criminal hearing that I went through, but he has the same kind of personality, the same spunk, the same energy. This, he ha- they, they, it's, uh, the whole time, I just kept thinking about my attorney and I just kind of want to follow up with him and see how he's doing. But I, I, I just had this instant bond with him, even though I've never met Tom before. <laughs> I, 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 as, as the moment I talked to him for the first time, we chatted. It's like, oh, this is this is a guy you're going to really and just enjoy <laughs> having along. And, you know, I wish we could go into some of the nuances. And I really wish Tom could talk about some of the stories, obviously, with the confidentiality he has, the kinds of work that he does for his clients needs to maintain that confidentiality, obviously. But there's some pretty amazing stuff that I know he's been a part of. And, you know, just what a, what a terrific guy. And I've always enjoyed the interactions we had coming up to this interview and even more so just even at, at listening to him, some of his story. Let's break this down a little bit because this is not just about an attorney and what an attorney does. This really does impact how we go about exercising our bold idea, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Yep. Well, I mean, what are, what are some of your takeaways from this? Well, I love what he said almost right at the very beginning. Settling almost always seems impossible, but it's settleable. In other words, it's the thing that seems most impossible that causes us to freeze up and not do it. And it's the very thing that causes delay, right? It's the very thing that keeps us from doing it as we think, oh, there's no way they're intractable. There's nothing. And, you know, here's a guy who's worked, you know, all all sides of a conflict. And he knows that there's always ground that can be given one way or another. Right. And there's always some way, some path through it. And I just love that because there's so many times when it just seems like it's nearly impossible and, and like, let's just let it go. You yeah. know, I don't, I, I, I'm not a conflict avoider, but right. sometimes when people seem impossible, I'm like, is it worth my time? You know, I'm just, don't, I don't want to do it. And I know I'm, I contend toward like, you know, I, it would be easy to slip into that. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's not worth my time. <laughs> and sometimes, to be honest, I think I'm not a conflict avoider because I just want to prove I'm right, which is what it's all about, right? <laughs> Trying to create some more conflict. <laughs> yeah, which only creates more conflict, right? Uh, I love that. You know, one of the things that he he talked about, which I don't know, it it I know he's right, but but I hate that he's right. <laughs> what was that? Is the do it quickly part? Uh-huh. You know, yeah. like I'm the type of guy like forgiveness is not my strength being quick to ask for forgiveness is not my strength trying to make peace is not my strength it's just those those things haven't been my strength right it's like one of the hardest things about walking into the christian faith and understanding what the gospel stands for and coming out of like organized crime lifestyle it is the antithesis to everything that you know right you 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 live on vendetta. You breathe and eat and feed off your vendetta. You hold your grudges and it motivates you, right? Like there's all these things. That you get energy from that. Yeah, and you're just like, I will destroy this dude. You know, it's not even about killing them. It's about destroying them, right? Like killing someone is easy, but it's like destroying them. That that's that, that was like the lifeblood you have coming out of organized crime when there was a beef of some kind, right? And then you walk into it and you walk into this faith and you keep hearing about love and it's not just like love your family and your friends and love God. 
But it's like Jesus has to be annoying and be like, no, anyone can love their family. You have to love your enemies. Mm-hmm. You're like, come on, man. <laughs> Give me a break. Like, <laughs> let, let me figure out how to love my family first, and I'll get to my enemies later, you know? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> and then, and then you, yeah, maybe. And then you get Tom on here, and he's talking about being a peacemaker. And then, like, he starts off with the hardest thing for me to do when he says, just do it quick, you know? Just, like, don't waste time. Go straight to it. Cut the crap. Just make it happen. And I think, man... That is, that's not going to be my instant reaction to this thing. My thing is going to be, I'm going to go breathe in heavy, heavy amounts of oxygen and breathe out a lot and take as much time as I can to calm down before I punch somebody and hopefully be able to have that conversation with them so it's not antagonistic, right? But then you hear him talk about it of how much more pain it causes in the long term, how many more conflicts it creates, how much more damage it actually ends up doing. And you finally hear it through a lens of a guy who sits in a professional position that all he does is deal with other people's conflicts. Mm. And he's able to talk about it from a position that most people can't, which he can easily say, you're only wasting your own time and you're causing yourself more damage the longer that you wait to settle your own conflict. Yep. So if you if you hate being in this position, just cut the crap. Yep. It's like that uh, it's like that old Fram oil filter commercial which probably predated you, but it used to yeah. say pay me now or pay me later, you yep. know. It's like, you know, let's <laughs> well, take care of it now yeah. or you're going to pay a lot more down yep. the road. Yep. Or in the way that Tom's saying, I almost think it all right, take two years to deal with this. And then on a year after that, you'll have another two year work ahead of you. And you're going to have to keep dealing with this over and over yeah. again until you learn how to make peace. Cause I guess my other takeaway from Tom is unless you learn how to be a peacemaker, you're always going to have to hire someone like Tom mm. to make peace for you. Yeah. But what I love about Tom is he's literally passing the baton and saying, here's how you make peace. He's, he's telling you, don't waste your money. If you if you can do it yourself, why not do it yourself? He's empowering people to yeah, do well, what he does. And ex- that's what I love and admire about him. Yeah, and I love the three steps. You know, be the first. Yep. I love Emerson Egrich's comment on this in his book, Love and Respect. And he, he talks about, you know, when you're mad at your spouse, you know, and like you've got this this freeze going on, you know, it's like yeah. You're, you're wondering in your mind when they're going to make the first move because, you know, they need to make the first move because right. I'm going to be solid in my resolute determination not right. to make the first move. And he just asks the simple question. He says, how do you know who should make the first move? <laughs> and and I'm reading this book and I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be the standard answer. You know, the guy always makes the first move. Yeah. I already saw it coming. Yeah. You know, I was like, I'm already prepared. Yeah. But he blindsided me, Arvind, because he said, the person who should make the first move when you're stalled in conflict like that is the one who considers himself more spiritually mature. Oh, I it, hate him. It killed me. <laughs> and that's exactly what well, that's exactly what Tom's talking yeah. about. You know, you want to be spiritually mature, make the first move. Yeah. Because the most the more spiritual mature makes the first move, you know, and that's just like wow. And yeah. then of course we talked about the delay thing and acting quickly and you know all kinds of problems that come as a result of that. And then I love what he said about sacrifice. I wrote this down. Maybe I didn't quite hear it right, but he said, if you have to measure the sacrifice you're making, you're probably not sacrificing enough. Like, whoa. You know, if you're keeping... Say that one more time. How did he say that? If you have to measure your sacrifice, you're probably not sacrificing enough. The way I heard that was, if you're keeping score, you're probably not sacrificing enough. Oh, gosh. It just keeps getting worse. (laughs) 
I mean, it's getting better. Don't get me wrong. He's right. I'm just saying it's getting worse for me. I might have misheard what he said, but that's what I wrote down. At least that was a conviction I took. It was like, man, I know that oftentimes I'm thinking about how much I'm losing out of something. Mm-hmm. You know, I think his point is yep. that's the wrong score. Yep. That's not the score he should be keeping. Yeah. Right? It's like, oh my goodness. You know, that's so good. Now, as we're concluding here, here's a thought that occurred to me. He's giving us really good tools here, very simple tools for mm-hmm. us to think about in managing our own conflict. But I think the really big call, not only to manage conflict in our own lives, the really big call is to be willing to help be the mediator in other people's lives as mm-hmm. well. And so many times people are caught in this situation where they need a guy like Tom. And why couldn't each of us be willing in some way to do that, to get our hands a little bit dirty for the sake of others, to be the reconciler? Isn't that the message that we've been given to to be, to be reconcilers one to another? Right. And that other... We're called ambassadors, right? right? And ministers of reconciliation. And that ought to be what we do. Right. Reconciling people to people and people to God. Yep. That's, that's our why, job. That's why the Bible says, blessed are those who are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Amen. Boom. And that's what we got going here. Listen, we hope that you all have enjoyed this conversation. It is a stimulating conversation to think about how do we take our peacemaking game to a higher level? How do we become world-class peacemakers? Now, we mentioned earlier in the program that Tom has agreed to give away 10 copies of his book, Settle It and Be Blessed. Now, here's how you can snag a copy. First of all, it's only going to go to subscribers to our show notes. So if you're not a subscriber already, go to boldideapodcast.com and just subscribe. That's very easy. Second, if you're interested in a book, as long as we have copies available, send an email and just send an email and request a copy. Send us your, your mailing address to info at boldideapodcast.com. And that's all you have to do. There's nothing more than just letting us know you want a copy because Tom wants to get this word out. We want to get the word out. We want you to be a better peacemaker in your world. And we're just going to make that book available. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this show and you'll find the show notes at boldideapodcast.com slash 24. And of course, if you're already a subscriber, you get it in your inbox as soon as it's been published. Leave a comment for us. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are at boldideapodcast.com slash 24 or call our show line at 612-568-IDEA. That's 612-568-4332. Of course, we'd love to have you follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Google Plus, all that stuff, right, Armin? <laughs> and of course, all that stuff. And all that stuff. <laughs> and of course, we love it when you spread the word and tell your friends about the Bold Idea Podcast. So until next week, this is Larry Gates and Armin Asadi saying so long. You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com.